0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Man, it's, it's been a great week. Uh, man, I feel like I feel on fire this week. It's been a productive week. I deleted social media and I just got my screen time thing. And it's like, your screen time is down six hours this week. And I was like, okay, good. So that's staying gone because <laughs> you can get a lot done six hours a week. Some of you were like, lightweight a week? Let's try a day, right? Uh, but I'm excited for what God has been doing. Uh, like Gianna mentioned, we it was so interesting. We were talking with uh, the school, Tanalea, and they had mentioned, um, you know, we have kids that are going home uh, without food, and they go home on the weekend, and there is, you know, state supplied, you know, all kinds of things, and the state works hard to supply those things, uh, but there was just a bigger need than was being supplied. And so we're like, yeah, we'd love to help. And so initially it was like this little thing where like we can get a table of like food. And then we and then like we kept meeting with them (laughs) and they kept showing us the need and the need like grew and grew and grew. But what was so cool is the opportunity grew and grew and grew. And uh, so they took us into a room that was probably about 25 feet by 25 feet. And they're like, listen, you can have this whole space. do whatever you want, and we'll bring families in here, and you guys can come in here and be with families and encourage and love on them and support them, and so we're like, okay, let's do it. And so I have Delaney. Uh, Is Delaney in here? Is she in kids? Oh, right there. Hey, Delaney's been putting together all this info, and we'll share that with you guys in a couple weeks. But man, it's just amazing as a church, as we have chosen uh, to continually step out in generosity, uh, how God is just meeting with more and more incredible and powerful opportunity to the point where they're like, hey, in the summer... If you guys had something like this where you built it at your church as well, could we take these resources, food, clothing, and home goods, could we put them at the church and then send our families in the summer to your church to, to meet with you for that? And I was like, yes, we will find a way. Like, we will make a way. We'll sell some speakers, whatever we need to do, right? Like, I don't care. Like, we're taking care of families. Um, but we won't. But I, I want to encourage you that we are working hard on putting that together because I, wanna, uh, I want everybody to know as you give generously to this church— exactly what it's going to and how we're using it. We're really big fans of stewardship. Um, But if you want more questions, you can ask me, but we're at like preliminary stages here. But it is really cool what God is doing uh, and the opportunities that, that God is giving Uh, Right now, but i'm excited. We're in our series called undefeated love and it's just it's been a great morning I love that song new thing. I love like singing that song. I love uh, the reality of uh, When god gets a hold of our heart in our life, he does a new thing Uh, Our mission statement is back on the wall if you're online, you probably can't see it So let me just tell you so so that all people can experience the freedom and the power of a new Life in jesus christ and that that's really our heart We started on Easter talking about the love of Jesus, that Jesus came to this earth to die for us, to take the weight of our sin and our shame upon himself, and then he rose again and invited us into a new life and freedom and hope. And so today we're going to continue our series talking about how that love of Jesus impacts all of our life and our relationships, and today we're going to talk about something special, and that is sex. Sex. Amen. Yeah, amen. Uh, I think it's important to talk about this. I think it's interesting that this is a conversation talking about sex happens literally everywhere but church. It's literally everywhere but church. So if this is your first time at church, watching online church, or or just being at this church, I want to tell you, don't worry. Nobody else has heard a message about sex recently, maybe even for the past 20 years. So you are amongst friends. I just leveled the uncomfortable playing field, right? We are all in this together. You're like, I feel new to church. Don't worry. No one else has heard this message message either, which is part of the problem, right? Is that we have let the conversation on like the greatest thing that God has made. We have let it go out of the walls of the church into the hands of random people to decide what they want. And so what happens is our view on sex, our view on sexuality is broken, confusing, abusive. It is marketing. It is manipulative. And can I just tell you, like God created sex, And God created sex to be great. And God created humans to have great sex. And we need to be okay having that conversation. Now today as we talk about this and we look at the song uh, of Solomon, I know for some of you, uh, you might might come from uh, a past that might trigger some things during this sermon. And so I want you to hear from the platform that you have all freedom to just have a moment to yourself I will not judge you if you close your eyes or focus your heart. I won't judge you if you you know go to the restroom, but really you're just you got to get your breath. But I really want to encourage you to allow God to stir upon your heart. See what what's supposed to happen in a healthy conversation is we have a weight on our shoulders we carry. Some of us it's called uh, hurt. Some of us it's called pain. Some of us it's called confusion. And what happens is we think, as our heart starts to get stirred, we think that weight's going to become heavier. But I believe the opposite's going to happen, and the opposite should happen. In fact, if you don't feel the opposite happening, then that's the enemy trying to lie to you. Because what's supposed to happen is as we talk about how God created us to be free, that weight should come off of our shoulders. We should feel freedom. We should feel conviction and stirring, and then that weight should come off of our shoulders. So uh, I just want to say, uh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be good. We're going to look at the Song of Solomon, and we're specifically going to look in chapter 4 at the bridal suite moment of the Song of Solomon. And we're going to look at sex, and really sex in the covenant of marriage. And sex in the covenant of marriage, it can be a couple things. It can be the greatest blessing, or it can be the greatest source of tension. And I want us to be okay just kind of walking through that today. Uh, It takes some vulnerability being a pastor and standing up talking about sex in front of all of you guys Uh, But I believe in what God has written and I believe in the beauty of what God has created And I believe that God has called us to have great sex So the title of this sermon if you're writing notes is called great sex (laughs) Kind of as the foundation of what we're going to read I want to talk to you about Old Testament weddings now Weddings have actually looked like they do now for a long time. The reason that we do the things we do today in weddings is because they represent uh, a covenant before God that has existed for a long time. In fact, if you go back to uh, the Hebrew tradition, the, the bride and groom would actually stand before a priest a lot like they do today. If you got married, it's very likely you stood before a priest and one of you was on one side and one of you was on the other side. Does anyone know what side the bride or groom, what side does the groom go on? I'm just curious. What side does the groom go on? This one. Okay. Yes, the groom has always gone on the right side because that's the only time he's going to be right in the relationship. (laughs) People are deeply offended. (laughs) Okay, the groom goes on the right. Why does he go on the right? Okay, well, if he's on the right, it's because of this reason. The right hand was the sword hand. And when they would stand in front of the priest, the the man would be on the right, and his sword hand would be free for the very explicit purpose of to protect his future bride. In this moment, his bride, his wife, to protect her from potential attacks, to protect her from people coming against her. It was both symbolic that I'm to defend her and literal, because in a time of war, a great time to attack, Somebody else is when everyone's drinking, partying, and not being super soldiery, right? It's a great time. Um, <laughs> so they would stand on the right. But what inevitably happens is when they exchange vows, they go this way. And when they announce, they go this way and they face everybody else. And so the sword hand now becomes the arm hand, and it was a sign of strength. The right arm was a sign of strength and support. He's saying, I'm committed to support my wife. The things we do actually have meaning. And so they would support. She would hold his. But there's a problem now. You can't fight with a sword like that, right? So what happens? Well, your bridal party wasn't just there to throw a dope bachelorette party. They they existed for a very clear purpose to defend the bride and groom. And in fact, everybody who was there, it wasn't just a sign of like, did you make the cut or not? It was a sign of we are committed to stand and support and affirm the bride and groom. We're there to defend them. And so there was this commitment, not only just physically about defending each other, but there was a commitment to one another that we are going to speak well of the couple. There was a commitment, right, in that moment that we are only allowed to speak well of this couple. We will defend their honor. Then it was, we're also committing to pray over them. We're going to defend them spiritually. And then there was a commitment of, we will be a blessing, not a curse. This isn't about us. This is about them. We will support them and stand with them. Doesn't that sound great? Turns out that's what we're doing. When we do that, that is what we're doing. I kind of think, like, we might need to double down in committing. it. I'm adding that to my uh, to my wedding thing. So when you guys get married, you get to hear about this again. Um, <laughs> But there's this powerful moment. Okay, so then, and you've got to go with me here, okay? Everyone give me grace today. Amen? Okay, everyone give me grace today. Uh, then they would do this. They would go to the bridal suite. Everyone's still there. All the family are still there. They would go, like, right over here, for those online 10 feet away, <laughs> to the bridal suite. And uh, they would have a special moment where they consummate the marriage. And what they would do is they would lay a towel down on the bed. And the husband would enter the wife, and uh, there would be blood on the towel from that moment. And then as a symbolic moment of the covenant and the blood that was there, they would then take that towel once they were done, and they would open the windows of the bridal suite, and they would hold the towel out for all the family to see, and everyone would cheer. How many of you are glad we don't do that anymore? (laughs) Yes, yes, because the next family dinner would be weird, right? That's a a crazy, that's an interesting moment, right? Your whole family's outside waiting for you to come open the door and hang a towel out to celebrate, but they would go wild. There would be a seven-day party to celebrate the consummation of marriage. Just imagine, you're trying to get your groove on, and your family literally won't leave for a week, Some of you are like, oh, I know exactly how that is, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right? And they would celebrate, and it was a big deal. It was a huge, huge deal (laughs) to not only consummate the marriage, but the significance of the foundational understanding of a healthy relationship as God intended. See, not only then was it a big deal, but now it is still a big deal because it's still this foundation of what is taught about sex. This moment, this moment of the covenant and the expression of that covenant and the beauty of it and the celebration of it, that we don't do any of those things, thank goodness, right? We don't do any towel stuff and everybody goes and you go to Hawaii or whatever it is. uh, It is still a foundationally important thing. And it's a foundation of what God's Word is going to teach about sex, So today, I want to read this moment from Scripture uh, in Song of Solomon, or Song of Songs, chapter 4. I don't know if you ever read this in church, but we're going to read it together uh, in Song of Solomon. And I've done a lot of studying and preparing and looking at commentaries and resources and historical studies and sermons of people I trust and going through different things. And I have to read you one of my favorite lines from a commentary about the Scripture that I'm about to read to you. It's by someone named F.F. F. Bruce in International Bible Commentary. And it says this These passages are not suitable for reading in church, and Scripture Union wisely omits them from family readings. Perfect. Let's jump right in. Song of Psalms, chapter 4, verse 1. Who's there? All right. We're going to talk about this. I don't think they're inappropriate. I think because we have distorted the view on sex, we have deemed them inappropriate because we've handed this beautiful, amazing thing over to the hands of people who don't understand how God has created it. And I want to take it back today. I want to own it as God intended. I want it to be beautiful. I want when you get married to have a powerful expression. I want your life to be rich and fulfilled. And so I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable for your fulfillment through biblical teaching. (laughs) Amen. Okay, I'm going to give you some, some principles here. Um, or taught to me, I'm going to teach them to you today that come from the scripture, a couple principles about great sex. Remember the title. Okay. Great sex starts before the bedroom. If you're writing notes, this might be the most uh, the men of this church have ever written notes, but we're going to write them today. Great sex starts before the bedroom. Great sex starts way before you touch each other. We're gonna read through this whole chapter four. The first eleven verses are pre-physical, like they don't touch. Eleven—that's a long time. Eleven verses, first eleven. Okay, but let's start. Let's start in one. Ready? Song of Solomon, chapter four, verse one. These these passages are not suitable. It's, we're doing it. First one. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. A <laughs> couple thousand years. It doesn't. It feels a little different now, doesn't it? Got bird eyes and goat hair. <laughs> doesn't feel the same, does it? <laughs> Saying your eyes are like doves. They're soft. They're welcoming. They're inviting, right? Doves. When when you actually see them. Uh, they're beautiful. They're soft. They're inviting and he says your hair is like goats Which on the surface sounds like he's saying she has goat hair Which sounds like just a savage burn right into their relationship like really you didn't co- you got goat hair You didn't um don't lean into that young men that doesn't translate just in case you're wondering If you le- if you go into that marriage moment and you look at your wife you're like wow, baby You got that goat hair <laughs> That night is not gonna go well for you <laughs> But the goat, he's talking about these goats in, in Gilead, and the goats that he's referring to had this really rich, dark black hair, uh, really, really dark black hair, and it was curly. And so he's talking about this dark black hair that's, it's talking about leaping down the slopes of Gilead. So it's sloping over her body, and you can translate what the slopes are. But it's talking about the hair is falling over her body. Basically, he's saying in the, the Hebrew version right here is, you have beautiful hair. It's dark. It's beautiful. What is he doing? He's building her up, right? He's encouraging her. He's pointing out qualities, and he's, and he's encouraging her. He's being positive. And then verse 2, this might be my favorite scripture I've read from Platform for the past three years. I've been a lead pastor right here. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ooze that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Okay, that is the best way to say you got all your teeth. <laughs> Alright. Not not one among them has lost its young is such a great way to say you ain't missing any teeth, girl. <laughs> Like one, two, there it is. It's still there. There's its young. Oh, and it's, there's another one. And there's its young. Still got it. Which sounds like random. Like if you were in a relationship like, wow, your teeth aren't missing any of their other teeth. <laughs> You'd be like, okay. But in the ancient Near East, the level of dentistry, that would have been an accomplishment. Remember, this woman is insecure about her physical appearance. He's picking things that are positive. You got a lot of white teeth in an age of not a lot of white teeth. Right? Got dark hair, got light teeth All of them are there, every single one One there, one there, this one back here Oh my gosh, they're all on the front All of them, they're all there he's, he's building her up I know it might not seem like it to us But he is romancing her He is encouraging her Before, Long before, 11 verses Before he ever touches her He is speaking life to her Listen, men, we're smart to learn this If you want to end your day well Start your day well Start by encouraging, romancing. Think of it like an emotional love tank. If your partner's emotional love tank is full, then physical expression of love is a natural overflow, not a forced duty. Men, women, everybody, listen. When that emotional love tank is full, it's so much easier to give physical love it is so much easier to be a natural overflowing expression than just some forced part something you feel obligated to do those small things they bring a big result let me give you a couple ways how we do that one start at the start make breakfast she gets up early and you stay and you sleep in or she sleeps in you get, get up at the same time i would encourage you get up at the same time if you can go to bed at the same time. It's just a numbers game, guys, right? Start at the start. Be encouraging. Wake the kids up. Pick up the socks on the floor. Connect in ways that she values. Call each other during the day. He or she values. Call call each other during the day just to say, I love you. He might be like, oh, okay, did you need something? Like, no, I just want to say I love you. Like, oh, okay, awesome. But trust me, it's feeling that emotional love tank. Even if they say nothing in response, it's feeling that emotional. Pick up milk, right? Like go to the store. It's like, you know what? We never have cereal. You're going to pick up cereal today. You're like, that sounds so lame. But it's encouraging. It's speaking, it's encouraging in your actions. It's just these small things that they value. How about this? Put down the phone. Some of you would have more business time if you had less screen time. You can ask some, your neighbor what business time is. Here's another one I think is helpful when it comes to starting before the bedroom is non-sexual touching. The hard part of being physical beings is that sometimes we apply all uh, physical action with intent, right? Just hug them with no extra like, huh-huh. <laughs> Please come back to church. <laughs> right? Just... Be caring, physically, with no, like, requirement. Oh, if he hugs me, he's looking for something. Right? Just be smart and start at the beginning of the day and be caring before before the bedroom. Everyone sit with me? Okay, let's look at verse 3. Your lips are like a scarlet thread and your mouth is lovely. Your cheeks are like ha- halves of pomegranate behind your veil, saying your lips are red, your cheeks are flush. Listen, the compliments are working. She's into it, guys. She's into it. Her cheeks are flush. She's like, "Okay, yeah, he's making me feel good. I'm about this." Verse 4: Your neck is like the tower of David built in rows of stone on it hang a thousand shields all of them shields of warriors what is he not saying girl you got a long neck you got that toys R us mascot neck right some of you are too old that's a giraffe right? and some of you are like toys are what there's stores that sell things now yes there was at a time and it had a mascot and it was a giraffe Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, he's not saying you have a long neck. He's saying you are prominent. The Tower of David was a statue of prominence, shields hanging. You were adorned. What is he saying? As he's complimenting her, she's standing up straight. She's feeling herself. She's about it. Because when your husband is like, "Damn, girl, like you feel good. You feel confident, right? You've been in sweatpants for all of COVID, but for some reason he's like, wow, your hair is like goats. You're like, yeah, it is. And you're about it. All of a sudden, like, you're walking around just, just confident. You're feeling it, right? It's, I can rock these sweatpants, right? There's a confidence in this space where he's building her up. Because honestly, if you remember, they're in the bridal chamber. They're not far away from their family. Could you imagine just the, the tension and the pressure that's in that space in that moment? Everybody's waiting outside for this. That's a lot of pressure. He says, you know, what? before we do this, I'm going to build you up. I'm going to encourage you. Listen, it doesn't matter if you've been married for 50 years, or it doesn't matter if you're, if you're still not in a relationship of any kind. In this moment, you're like, I'm not in a relationship. I don't see myself being in a relationship. There is still importance for us to understand the biblical principle of building up the people that we love. He built her up. She's standing tall. Okay, what happens next? Okay, it's, it's getting hot and heavy. Here's what happens. Great sex is tender. I'm going to explain what that word means here in a second. Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 5, says this. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle that graze among the lilies. Okay. I love that I'm explaining this to you. Um most of this you will understand because you understand how numbers work and biology works. So I don't need to go there. But let's talk about fawns for a second. They're soft. Uh, they're gentle. But the tenderness here is important. Because I don't know if you guys have ever hunted or, I don't know, seen a deer. Uh, but if you have a baby deer and it's sitting in a field and you want to be near that baby deer, what do you not do? You don't jump out and go, hey, baby deer! Right? <laughs> there's, like, there's an intensity and an excitement that needs to be <laughs> paid attention to. There's a tenderness, right? If, <laughs> if you want to be close to a soft baby deer, you cannot just be like, ah! <laughs> All joking aside, listen, we need to recover the art of tenderness in our marriage. I feel like as a man, I can speak to men, and I'm going to speak a lot to men. I'll speak to both, but I'm going to speak a lot to men in this series because I feel like we take up the mantle of leadership in our family. Someone's like, you're speaking to men a lot. I'm like, good, it's time. Like, we need to recover the art of tenderness in our marriage. What do I mean? I mean tender-hearted. I'm not saying everything soft, so I, like some calm jazz in the background. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying tender-hearted, tender-hearted, meaning this. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. What happens when one partner wants to creatively express their love in a way that another partner is not comfortable meaning one spouse has this kind of broader uh, spectrum of parameters that they think is acceptable than the other spouse. You guys understand what I'm saying, right? What happens? Well, very, very clearly, great sex is tender, meaning always respect your spouse. Never Push, never coerce, never push them anyth- into anything that makes them feel cheap, never push them into anything that makes them feel uncomfortable or use. It is not your job to coerce your spouse into fulfilling desires that you think are crucial. See, this is hard. This isn't even my notes, but this is hard. We live in an age where most young men have viewed pornography. You have expectations or might have expectations that she doesn't know about, and it is your not your job to coerce her into being a porn star that you could not have. It is your job to be tender-hearted and to preserve her holiness and to care for her and to nurture her. Remember, she is God's daughter first. It's never our call. It's our call to be tender. Okay, next thing. Great sex is passionate. Someone say passionate. There we go. Passionate. Verse 6. I like this verse. It says, Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, I will go away to the mountain of Myrrh and the hill of Frankincense. Until the day breathes. What does that mean? It means all night long. Right? This is literally what he says. If you read it kind of like um, word for word, not thought for thought. All night long, I will get to Myrrh mountain and Frankincense hill. (laughs) You can decipher that on your own, but that's a passionate verse. That is a passionate verse. If you remember where they would put myrrh, right? So you can kind of guess where those places are. He says, All night long, I'm getting myself to Myrrh Mountain. (laughs) It's passionate. You know, it's interesting, so much of ancient literature at the time, uh, sex, now there was a lot of passion and love, but sex was this thing that was very often focused strictly for procreation. And yet, when we look at Scripture, when we look at the Bible, we see this very powerful expression of holy, passionate sex between husband and wife. Those things go together. I don't know if you know this, holiness, passionate, sex, those things can exist together. I think it's interesting, you know, when when you're newlyweds, newlyweds, they're just like so full of passion, right? They're so fired up, so fired up for each other. Someone gets married, it's like you can just take them off the schedule for the next 3 months. We're never going to see them, right? Like they they're about each other. We're going to Hawaii. We're just we're just going to be about each other. We're so excited, we're so passionate. We don't have to like drive home after we hang out anymore. Like we're just together. We do everything together. And you start that and it's passionate, exciting. And then we kind of live in this world, if we're being honest, where as time goes, many people, of course not you or someone you know, but many Many people struggle to keep the passion going the farther life goes along. The longer the marriage goes, there is very often, not always, very often a fading of passion. Like when it should be growing, right? It should be growing, like you're getting better at this, right? It should be growing, it's fading, that that spark's going. Why is that? Well, it's because life happens, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like before, like when you get married, right? Get married, like you guys are getting married in the summer. Like Tristan's gonna run out. He's gonna get that car started for you. Things gonna be ice cold, ice cold, ice cold. There's gonna be beverages, right? It's gonna be ready. He's gonna whip it up. He's gonna run around to the other side. He's gonna open the door. He's gonna be like, girl, I'm here for you, right? But then, you know, get through a couple kids. All of a sudden, he's gonna be there, like, you know, walking up. He's gonna be like, hey, let's go. Let's go. You're like, I have like eight bags because kids need a thousand diapers, right? You're going to load into the car. You're going to unload. He's going to go in because he got to get something from the store, and you forgot milk because he didn't pick up milk this week, and you didn't have time to get groceries. It's like, what are we having for dinner, right? And then he just leaves you in the car. He just took the keys and went inside. And you're like, wait a second. Our children are still in here, right? Life goes fast. It goes quick. And all of a sudden, life begins to happen. All of a sudden, time begins to go. We get distracted. We get busy. We got kids. We got the mortgage. We got car payments. We got the job. And what often can happen is that we can lose the priority of marriage. So I just want to encourage you, wherever you are on that spectrum of opening the car door or abandoning her in the car because she's playing, I don't know, Candy Crush or whatever it is. Right? Wherever you are on that spectrum, can I just encourage you? Initiate passion. Men, romance her. Take her out to dinner. Buy her a flower. Not even like 12, just one. Here's the good news. I told, I blew some men's mind in the first service. You ready? They sell flowers where they sell food. At the grocery store, right? The section that you go through and you kind of move through quickly because you don't have a cart, you just got the basket, right? That spot, those those are flowers. Those are for sale. They sell those to you for human dollars, right? (laughs) You can pay for them with money. And you don't have to buy 12. How many women would still be surprised at one flower? Right? It's kind of ominous. You don't know what's happening next. Right? It's kind of romantic. Okay, there's only one. I know these come in packs of 12. Like, what's happening? Who knows? Right? Awaken romance. Come home. Light some candles. Right? Just a candle. Women love, <laughs> they love candles. Light some candles. Right? Men, you're like, no, this is stupid. Trust me. She likes candles. You're like, not all women. My wife, she likes like dirt and four-wheelers. She still likes candles. Light some candles. Make it romantic. Some of you are like, I literally can't afford that. And if I could afford it, I would have no time because I have this thing called Children. Okay, I want to tell you, I understand. I understand. Because when COVID started, I thought, here's a great idea. Let's adopt a child and bring a kid I've never met into my home and then lock ourselves inside that home for a year. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, (laughs) when you take a kid from a family he's known into your home, he doesn't sleep very well. And I don't know, the recipe for not sex is not having sleep, right? And so when you're tired and exhausted, there's a kid crying and frustrated, then you have your other kid who's very confused, and doing online school, which half the way I just gave up. I was like, I'll teach you how to read Go Dog Go, it doesn't matter, right? Like, when you have that, it's sometimes not the recipe for, you know, great sex, and so I, uh, we were watching TV, because that's what you do when you're tired, and, uh, there was a commercial for Trojan condoms, and the commercial had these young, spry, good-looking people, how dare they, right, in their apartment, this nice studio in, I don't know, L.A., and they were hanging out doing TikTok videos, uh, which I only assume, I don't own, I don't have TikTok, but I'm going to assume they were TikToks because there was dancing, and then it was like, you could be having sex, and I thought, no, we couldn't, (laughs) right, these people don't have kids. That's why they're having kids, right? Everybody who had kids during COVID, that was the best birth control you've ever had. You're like, not another one of these little monsters because the next COVID-25 or whatever comes rolling through here. I don't want to be stuck in the house with four of these things, right? It was the but it's hard when you have kids. You're like, how do we do it? So here, here's what I've learned. I'm going to give you a little secret. We, you might not have time. You might not have money, but you do have something, and it's called this Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Okay, go with me here, (laughs) go with me here. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse is 25 minutes long, and let me tell you, you can do a lot with 25 minutes. (laughs) Married people, come on, let's just be real. You can do a lot with, just throw on that Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. We have like 12 streaming services. Find something that works. Spider-Man, that's long, right? You got some time, throw that in, put the kids in front of the TV, and then you guys just disappear. You know what I'm talking about? That can be passionate, right? The Problem is then you like go to your friend's house, they fire at Mickey Mouse Clubhouse with the kids and you're like, "Oh no sorry, we're <laughs> we're in public. we can't. I'm sorry, right? It just triggers your brain. It's like Pavlov's dog, right? You start drooling, right? <laughs> but you can do it, right? You can put on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and be passionate. You can do it. you can buy a flower. you can buy a gallon of milk. you can do it. You can right? It's possible. All I'm saying is, it's passionate. It takes initiating passion. Okay, everyone still with me? We're good? Okay, good. All right, let's keep going. Great sex is built on trust. It's built on trust. Listen, nothing is more intimate and vulnerable than this moment. Nothing. And because it is intimate, because it's vulnerable, because it's powerful, because it's amazing, it also, can also be scary Especially if you're coming into the relationship having had that trust previously violated, previously broken, had that vulnerability taken advantage of. That can be difficult. And so within that, there has to be a ton of vulnerability and intimacy. There has to be a ton of trust. Right? Here's what verse 7 says. I love this. The man looks at his wife and he says, you are Are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. I love that. There is no flaw in you. I was trying to figure out how to to phrase this, and I actually found a quote that I think says it better than I could ever say. So I want to read it to you today. It says Compared with this lavish praise of the beloved's beauty, some wives today may feel uncomfortable about their own appearance. However, one must remember that initially the daughters of Jerusalem did not seem to regard the beloved as a beautiful woman. Unlike other royal ladies, she was not fair-skinned, a preeminent sign of beauty in the ancient world. Remember chapter 1, if you are here last week, you remember, she was like, don't look at me, I'm dark, I've been working out in the fields. I know rich people that kings marry are supposed to be like, fair, but I don't look like that, I feel insecure. It says, yet in her lover's eyes she was beautiful even though she did not meet the objective standards of beauty in her society. In other words, though few people in any age meet their own particular culture standards of beauty, a woman is beautiful in the eyes of her lover simply because he loves her. Every husband who genuinely loves his wife can say, to me you are beautiful and there is no flaw in you. Remember, if you remember last week, I talked about how she's saying, "Listen, don't look at me because uh, I was sent out to take care of uh, our vineyards, and because of that, I didn't take care of my own vineyard, meaning my my body, and and I have dark skin." And she was, though you know, that's a trait of beauty. Now she was not about that, and culture was not about that, which is the ever-chasing beauty standard of culture. She says, "I'm insecure." But he's constantly reassuring her I love this, in my eyes You're perfect I'm not marrying you to change you In fact I wouldn't change a thing, you're perfect You're perfect in my eyes You're perfect to me He's not lying to her He's not like, well I'll say this and then hopefully You know, she'll get a little lighter, shed a few pounds He actually believes it Because when you love somebody You do believe that In my eyes, you're perfect, I love you I'm about you Husbands, listen, every day our wives are comparing themselves or being encouraged to compare themselves to false images that are not representations of them, right? Think of social media. Think of advertisement. Think of movies. All these images that, that come by the hands of personal trainers and airbrushes and editing. I've done Photoshop. You can make anybody look good, trust me, but it's not real, right? Right? the marks are washed away, the life is washed away. It's just this fake image. And so insecurities come up. And what's crazy is, women, your insecurities are a marketing ploy to sell you more things. It started in the 50s with the mad men. (laughs) If you go read the advertisements, they sound insane now. And I think ours will sound insane in 50 years if they don't already. I think they already sound insane. But it was like, It's like, you've been cleaning the house all day, and you don't want your husband to come home and find a disheveled woman. His passions are for you. It's like, make yourself ready with, you know, L'Oreal, you know, face makeup. It was like this thing of like, you've been working all day, but don't look like it, right? And it was to invoke these insecurities. Am I enough? Do I look like enough? Now we have this mega industry called pornography, so now there's even more insecurities because maybe you maybe uh, you have or have not ever viewed pornography, but many women that we talk with have the insecurity that their husbands have viewed pornography and have unfair expectations of them sexually that they cannot meet. We need to own that reality. That there are insecurities coming against our spouses. Are they doing enough? Are they look good enough? Are they sexy enough? Are they enough? And as men, we get the blessing of every day telling our wives, you're enough. If you are blessed enough to have a wife, then you are blessed enough to have the responsibility of saying, you are enough for me. And if you are with somebody who doesn't think you're enough as you are, listen, leave them. Because the one who loves you should look at you and say, Listen, you're enough for me. Who you are, who God has brought into my life, you are enough. You can trust me. You can trust me. My wife, in my opinion, my wife, uh, and I know it, husbands, you think your wife, and this is good. This is good. Uh, I think my wife is the most beautiful woman on earth. I've thought that since the day that we met when I was 17 years old, and I still think that being 34 years old. We've reached half of my life where now I have spent more time in love with my wife than I have not in love with my wife and knowing her, right? The moment I met her, I loved her. I thought she's the most beautiful woman. My wife has gone through a lot of life in 17 years. She's become a woman and an adult, <laughs> right? When we were 17, she's had kids, and live life. And there's so much of life that puts upon my wife, and I see it, and it, like, makes me angry. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Like, puts on the you're not enough, right? It's like when we had, we went to have kids, it was like, it was like all the mom messaging boards, you're not enough, you don't do enough. And it's like, if you're not having a Pinterest board while you're pregnant, then you're a loser. And I was like, what? What is Pinterest, right? Seven years ago. Uh <laughs> But it's all of this pressure. And it was like my blessing in life to be like, listen, to me, you're perfect. Isn't that amazing? Men of God, listen, whether you have somebody yet or not, it is a blessing to remind your wife, you can trust me to steward your heart, to say that you are perfect in my eyes. Okay, women, let's talk to you today. No matter your guy, you got a studly guy. Like he's like he's a good-looking dude. He's like, oh, I mean, we got some good-looking single guys in this church. Single women, if you want, you know, talk to me. I can help you pick one, um, depending depending on if they serve or not. You know, um, <laughs> I'll let you know. Um, like, oh no, he doesn't serve. He's not a good choice. Um, but you got, like, a studly guy. You know, he's, like, strong. You can, like, lift a couch and throw it through a window. Basically, you're dating Superman. Um, he's strong. He's good looking. Uh, you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, you, you see him. You're like, oh, man, he's so handsome. He's so strong. And just, he's awesome. You know what? Even he's going to have some insecurities. Even he is going to have some insecurities. And some of those insecurities may or may not surround sex and things in the bedroom. Studly guy, awesome dude, man of God, leads the way in every possible way. He may have insecurities in the bedroom. Like, really? I thought that's all men think about. Like, well, that is a funny thing. You know, we live in this culture, it's like all men think about is sex. And when you watch TV, you kind of have this trope that that exists where it's like all the guy wants is to have sex. The woman's kind of like, oh, enough. I have a headache. Like, right? Like, enough. But I just want to say, it is biologically true that men frequently want sex, right? Men want to have sex often, right? It, it's part of our biology. It's scientifically true. You're like, I don't know if I like that. Then you need to bring that up with God, right? Because he made men. He did, your husband is not a freak because he wants to have sex, right? He's normal, God made him that way. God made him with passion to pursue. God made him to be a man. God made him to be strong. God made him to want to have sex, right? And to have it frequently. And if for some reason you're like, he never really has that desire, then we need to have a conversation that maybe that desire is going somewhere else. Because God made your husband to want to have sex and have sex frequently. It's always funny when we do pre-marriage counseling. There's a question in our pre counseling. How often do you think you should have sex? And the men always say, like, eight times a day. <laughs> and the girls are like, a couple times a week. That's like the norm. And we try to tell the guy, it's probably not going to happen eight times a day, homie. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, good luck, but no. Uh But there is a realistic expression of sexual activity. God made him this way. But so often, the way our culture has viewed men in sex, and I'm just giving you an insight here, ladies. I don't know, maybe maybe no one's talked to you about this. But the way our culture views men in sex, it's physical, 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 physical. That's all it is. We're just like, we're just like animals. But listen, there is a marriage of a physical and emotional part of sex for men. Because when you receive him physically, you are affirming him emotionally. Again, I don't care if you're not in a relationship, you need to know this for when you are. When you receive your husband physically, you are assuring him and reassuring the love and acceptance in your life. That's a big deal, okay? When you accept him physically, you're, you are accepting, you're saying, listen, you are accepted, I love you, it's emotional. It would be like, if you rebuff him constantly, if you're constantly pushing away sex, if you're constantly like, I, I don't want to have sex, I don't want to engage in sex, I don't want sex in this, it would be like him saying to you, I'm not going to talk to you for a week. That would have an emotional toll, an emotional weight. Okay, everyone's still good. <laughs> it like, get serious when I talk to the women. I don't know why. I should have my wife for this part. She wants to go pick up pizza for Discover, so we're kind of like, you're stuck with me. Um, But it's important. But it says something. When a man is rejected over and over sexually, it says something to his mind and to his heart that is, I am not accepted and I am not loved. And it's a big deal because when a man commits to marry you, remember he has this desire. God gave him this desire. God created him with this desire. Not any times a day, but you know what I'm talking about. A healthy desire for sex. God created him with that. And what he has said when he committed to marrying you is, I will fulfill that desire in no other place except for you. Right? I will fulfill that desire only with you. I will trust you completely with that desire. I will trust you entirely to fulfill that. I will not go somewhere else. I will not think somewhere else. I won't look somewhere else. That will be entirely between, I am trusted. Do you see how big of a statement of trust that is? I'm trusting you with the my makeup, my physical design by God, I'm trusting you in this moment. All this desire, I'm only going to be fulfilled to you, which means there's a crisis if it's not fulfilled. There's a crisis if that desire is not fulfilled because there's a tension that exists there. And so if it's not being fulfilled, there needs to be some questions asked. But most importantly, there has to be Trust. You have to be vulnerable. Listen, if you're not in a relationship or you are in a relationship, hear me say, You must communicate about this. This is non negotiable. You can't leave this in the dark. You must talk about this. You must be honest with each other. You must be vulnerable because you want healthy. You don't want pushed aside. You must be open. This has to be a priority. You have to have this conversation. I have this conversation with my wife How is our sex? You have to have that conversation. We need to have be honest in that. Okay, let's keep going. Great sex is sensuous. Someone's, no, I'm joking. Great sex is sensuous. Uh, verse 9 through 11, he's going to say my bride over and over again. Man, I'm so warm. He's going to say my bride over and over again because they're consummating the marriage. And here's what he says. Verse 9. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes and one jewel of your necklace. Now, when he's saying my sister, my bride, he's not saying my sister. He's saying <laughs> he's saying my deep and dearest friend, right? They were close back in the ancient Near East. They were not this close. Uh, he's saying my sister, my, my deep and dear friend, you're all I can think about. My heart is completely for you. Nothing else is occupied. My affections, but you. Nothing else is taking my affections but you. And the verse 10, he says, How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine, and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Ooh, it is warm. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lemon. Some of you are like, I can't do this. I'm not Romeo. I'm not Juliet. Good. That ends with a double suicide. So. <laughs> None of us should be that, right? But I think we could all say, when you look at this, there's more than just physical action that's happening. He's engaging the senses. It is sensuous. He's sensing every part of this moment. He's wooing her. He's romancing her. He's engaging her emotions. He's engaging her passions. He's engaging her physically. He's thought about this. He's prepared. He's engaging her intellectually. He's putting in the work here. You might say, you know what, this has been kind of a tough season for romance. I think I'll be honest and say, this past year has been a tough season for romance. Great season for, like, survival and hard work, but a hard season for romance. Like, where are you going to take your wife? The drive-thru? Right? The girl, let's get dressed up and hope that that McDonald's isn't closed for the third time. Right? It's hard. And normally, I'd take my wife on a trip, and we'd get dressed up, and we'd go out, and, like, my wife is gorgeous, and people think, like, I've kidnapped her because she's so much better looking than me. And we'd go out, and we'd have a great time. And it was, it was all about, like, really engaging in this space. But uh, we, it's hard to have a romantic evening in a romantic place now. But can I just say, it is possible. Let me give you something here. Get creative during COVID. Get creative. It's possible. It doesn't take much, but it takes something. Remember I told you flowers? Take the other 11, break them apart, and sprinkle them over the bed. Right? Engage the senses. Get creative. Write a love note. Make dinner. My wife still has these notes that I wrote one time, uh, these different words about her that I put up all over her room one time, and I just put them up uh, before we were living together. I put them up before we were married and all over her room. She still has them. Still has them. That was 12 that was 14 years ago, still has them, because it's powerful and important. Ladies, listen, you have this easy. If you, if he shows up from work and you're naked, boom, initiated, right? Get that robe, nothing else underneath, boom, initiated, (laughs) <laughs> Some of you got men who are like, I don't like to raise my hands in worship. I bet you do that, you'll see him singing hallelujah. He's like, hallelujah, shining in the air, right? He's just going to be singing the song from Lion King, praise the Lord, hallelujah. All of a sudden, he's going to be here on Sunday like, wow, he's really into worship. Kind of, it's just triggering his brain, right? <laughs> Initiate, engage the senses, have fun, right? Get your husband singing hallelujah, right? It's worth it. It's fun. It should be fun. You could find creative ways. It's sensuous. Okay, last thing. Everyone still with me? You guys have done a great job. I feel like, wow. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, first-time people here for not walking out. I know your friend is mortified that they didn't know what was happening this Sunday when we spoke. But can I just encourage you? uh, This is a morning to release burdens on your shoulder and release weight on your back. So God has you to encourage you today, not to attack you, but to strengthen you. So my final one today as the band comes up is great sex is holy. Holy. It's one word that we don't often think is ascribed to sex. Holiness. Great sex is holy. Look at verse 12. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. He's describing right here that she is a virgin. She's taken that time They've been in passionate pursuit, but they've waited for the right time. I love uh, chapter 2. Now, we had to skip chapter 2 because there's only so many weeks to go through this book. But in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Some of your scriptures might say, if you ever go back and look it up and say, do not awaken love until it's time. And that's what they've done. They've not awakened love until it's time. That's some of the best advice that you can get right there. Don't start the fire until it's time to burn. But now it's time. And so verse 13 he says, Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all the choicest fruits, henna and nard. He's calling your love an orchard. Some of yours might say uh, a a vineyard. And there's this really strong image. Remember, she talked about the vineyard of her body. But there's another moment in chapter 2 as well, as they were dating and courting. She says something to him that I think is so powerful. Before she says, don't awaken the love, she says something. She says, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. When something is going to come to fruit, it starts first with blossoms and flowers. And she had the wisdom. Man, this is why you you get with a woman of God, right? She had the wisdom to look at their relationship, to look at herself, to look at their love and go, you know what, these blossoms are starting to form. And she looks at her man and she says, you need to be strong enough to protect this vineyard. I need to be able to count on you to keep the sexual temptation out of our relationship what a powerful moment I need to trust you she says listen what we have is beautiful and I'm ready for the wedding when we let that fire burn and trust me boy you're gonna love it but right now I need to trust you that you're gonna keep the foxes out of the vineyard and so in this moment they're married and they're in the bridal chamber, what that's happening is holy, pure, and blessed by God. Listen, if God blesses you with a spouse, you get to choose your honeymoon. You got two choices. One, you can choose the honeymoon that is this, is passionate, holy, and pure because you honored your spouse with sexual purity before your marriage. So you have this holy, beautiful moment where you consummate your marriage and have great sex And you come together, both physically and spiritually, this one flush, in a powerful moment, or you can do what most people do, which is you can live together, you can go through the motions, you can play house, you can walk through this, and, and in some ways, steal from yourself this beautiful moment. Steal from your own future this powerful and precious space. And I say that And and as soon as I say that, I know some of you, you might be upset. You might be feeling guilty. Some of you are like, well, I'm way past that point. But listen, you can make a commitment. You can make a commitment. If you're in a relationship right now and you're not married and you've been living in that space of not committed to purity, listen, you can make that commitment to purity. Here's what's amazing is uh, I talked at the beginning about how Christ makes us new. Listen, when Christ makes you new, he makes all of you new. All of you, it's not like he makes you new. He saves your soul, but your sexual purity is like, oh, no, I'm going to leave that on the side and then bring it over and guilt you with. All of you is new through Christ. Some of you, you need to, in your heart and in your mind, make a commitment to purity, and you became a born-again believer. You need to become like a born-again virgin. You need to commit to purity. Say, listen, if he made me new, he made me all the way new. I am committed to being made new. And I have my past and my hurt and my pain. And listen, I'm I'm not forgetting that that's there, but I'm making a commitment. Jesus, make me new. Because then when you're committed, and yeah, it's difficult, but it's good when you go into that moment and you commit before God. You know that's why we do the marriage ceremony is so you commit before God and making a vow before the Lord. And then you go in and you go into that moment with your spouse and you unwrap the present that God has given each of you and you seal the covenant. And then guess what? You can seal it again later. And guess what? All week you could seal the covenant. But there's a powerful and special moment, a holy and special moment where you could go in and say, listen, God has made me new, and I've committed, and we have committed. And some of you just have that conversation with your significant other or with yourself or with an accountability person. Listen, I need God to make me new in this moment. I have not given him this part of my shame, and I need that that burden off my shoulders. I need to be made new. Because, look, th- this man has loved this woman the right way, and she has loved him the right way. Look at the result. Verse 16. This is probably the verse FF Verse was talking about. This is a powerful verse, so it's beautiful and passionate. It says, Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden, let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. I feel like I don't even need to decipher that at this point. You know what that means. You know what's happening. And it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's holy, and it's pure, and it's good, and it's great. See, what can often happen, though, as we talk about this and the great sex that God designed us to have is that, oh, man, something begins to happen. We were praying for you. I don't know if you knew this in pre-service prayer because my biggest fear is as I'm speaking about the freedom that comes through Christ, that the enemy is going to try to come and put a weight on your shoulders. He's going to try to come in and attack your heart. But really, Jesus wants to come in and he wants to free you and release you. And he wants to say to you, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. You're like, I don't know if I deserve that. I'm messed up. I'm in bad shape. We're in bad shape in our relationship. Listen, he's come to give you that gift of new life. Maybe you're feeling guilty today as we talk about sex. We're talking about these things. As much as I've tried to keep it light, maybe you're, you're feeling guilty. You're confused. Maybe you're angry. Some of you might even be angry at me. Some of you might be thinking, this is really idealistic, but it's not really possible. Maybe some of you today, you're thinking of your spouse, and you're thinking, man, with everything going on, I'm just like, don't touch me. I don't like hearing about this. I don't want to know about this. Maybe some of you are in this place, and you're single, and you've just lost hope of ever really having a godly relationship. Just the thought of it, it's almost like terrifying. It's almost hopeless. You've lost hope of a godly relationship. Maybe some of you, you're locked in sexual sin today. Like you're hearing this, you're hearing about holiness, but you're so locked in pornography or masturbation or homosexual actions that you're just like, I, I don't even know where to go. I feel trapped. Maybe hurt, maybe bitter, maybe afraid, maybe dirty, maybe vulnerable. And you're so used to feeling attacked that this thought of freedom, it, it's almost like, how, how is that possible? I want you to hear me say, listen, no sin is too great for Jesus Christ. No addiction. There is no addiction here in this place that Christ cannot free. You know why we started with the resurrection is because I needed you to know that the love of Jesus has conquered everything. Everything. He has overcome death. He can overcome your addiction. Some of you are like, man, I got some hurt. I have some deep, deep, deep pain in my life. And right now the enemy is whispering to you. He's speaking to you. He's like, you're never going to get over this. Don't let that guy convince you. That guy doesn't know what you've gone through. Listen, if what you've gone through cannot overcome death, it can't overcome God, which means there is nothing in your life that God cannot heal. God can heal every hurt. God can heal every pain. God can overcome every abuse and every damage and every brokenness in your life. Listen. My past is dirty, too, but Christ renewed my mind, my mind and my heart and my spirit by His power, by His authority, and I'm born again into Him, and I was renewed into Him. And listen, you are, too. You are, too. Not one of us is outside of the scope of this love. He loves you so much. And today, here's what I want to say. I don't want you to leave with this weight. I don't get up here and talk about sex for the church because it's super fun. I get up here because I want you to be free. I don't list off this list of things because it makes my job being easier, right? It'd be easier to avoid this. But listen, I don't want you to go out with the weight. I don't want to go want you to go out with the burden. I want you to be free through Jesus Christ today. But that happens when you lift off the weight and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, whoo, this is messy. This is broken. This is crazy. I don't even, it's so dirty, I don't even want to bring it by His feet. I'm, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift it off. I'm going to put it at the feet of Jesus and I'm going to receive his love and acceptance and freedom. That's how it happens today. I'm going to invite you. Would you stand with me today? It's a part of, part of the sermon. I'm not making any jokes because I believe this is serious for your freedom. And some of you just need to hear this. Some of you, you are not married and you have messed up or you are messing up right now you're saying man I I want forgiveness I want to start over I want to be like I said a born-again virgin if God can make my soul new if God can restore me he can make all of me new I need to be made new today some of you you are confused and trapped in homosexuality and you need to be set free and I know that's really controversial to say but I care enough about your freedom to take upon myself your anger because I believe that God wants to set you free today. Some of you stepped outside of the boundaries of marriage and you're in adultery right now. Listen, today you need to confess to God and confess to your spouse. You need to throw yourself on the mercy of God and let him heal you. Take the weight off. Let him heal you. Some of you, you, are addicted to pornography. Some of you are addicted to masturbation. Some of you, you've allowed uh, things into your marriage that should not be there sexually. And today is the day. To, right now is the time to allow the presence of the God to bring healing. Might be some of you today. Your marriage seems dead. There's no intimacy. You need emotional intimacy, relational intimacy, spiritual intimacy, so that physical intimacy will be an overflow. Maybe you're in a rut. Life happened. Life got away. Marriage got put aside, and now you need help. You need God to awaken that passion today, whatever it is. Maybe some of you, you need to initiate relationally, not sexually. You need to initiate relationally, and you need God to help. Maybe some of you, you just need to repent. We have made repentance such a dirty word, but it is the best word. Repentance, I'm gonna take the weight of my sin and shame and I'm gonna lay it at his feet, and in exchange, I'm gonna receive the hope and healing that comes through Jesus. Listen today, no matter where you fall on any of these criteria, through Jesus Christ, there is hope for every future and healing for every past. Hear me in your heart today. For every person, there is hope for your future and healing for your pastor, Jesus Christ. Would you close your eyes with me today? I just want you to focus your heart, and I want to pray for you. If that's you in any shape or form, you're, you feel like you're messing up, you feel like you're trapped in addictions Sorry. or sexual sin, any of the things I mentioned, your marriage is struggling, and you're just like, God, I need, I need to work today. I need you to do a miracle in my life. I need you to make me new. I need you to restore me. Some of you, you're like, I need to commit again to purity in my heart and in our marriage. Maybe you've allowed things in your marriage. Whatever it is, you're saying today, God, I need your help. I ask for forgiveness. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to be so bold, every eye closed, every head bowed, just to lift your hands with me today. God, I need you to make me new. And I'm going to pray for you today. You and the Lord. God, I thank you. That there is freedom through you, Jesus, over every life. God, we say together, we need your help. We ask for your forgiveness. Every person in this moment is saying, God, I ask for your forgiveness. This release freedom from all bondages of sexual impurity. God, we pray this morning to set us free. We pray that we would be willing to be vulnerable with you. We pray we'd be willing to confess to you, confess to others that we might receive freedom and healing and a release. Right now, I just believe there is a spirit of the enemy coming against your heart that says you should feel condemned or that the church is trying to condemn you or that God is trying to condemn you. Hear the word of God that says to your heart today, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And for those who say today, God, I trust you. God, I take the burden off of my shoulders and I lay it at your feet. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. God, we pray for marriages that are failing and dying. We ask for new life and new hope. God, we pray to rebuild trust. God, we ask to impart forgiveness that we can learn to forgive. God, we pray break our hearts that we would trust you and in trusting you that some of us for the first time will begin to trust others. God, where there is impurity, cleanse us. Where there is guilt, God, heal us. Where there's brokenness, make us new. We pray over every life that there would be hope for the future and healing for the past. We call on the name of Jesus and say, we don't want anything but you. We pray be made new in your life today right now in this room right now in this room if you're praying to be made new that's all I want you to pray in your heart right now it's just to say God make me new do a new work in my life all I want is you Jesus wherever you are whatever situation of life the enemy's. Tr- I can just sense so clearly that there is a wrestling right now in this moment there's a wrestling in the spirit where you don't want to release. You don't want to release because you feel like you're going to get judged. You feel like this is part of your identity. But God is trying to release you right now. Say, "I says, I love you. Release it. Say, God, make me new. Make me new today. Jesus, we thank you that if anyone is in you, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come.